as we continue to study the parables of Jesus, and I will say that I've enjoyed greatly the study of these parables. We can look to the Christian life and all things that we do in our life, and we can find that Jesus brings about just about everything in the parables that he taught so long ago. But in all of those parables that we discussed, I believe that we can rightfully say that the parable of the Good Samaritan was perhaps one of the most practical of all of the parables. The reason for that is it gives you and I practically something that we can do in our life. But you know also, very rightfully so, I find that we can look to the one that we're going to discuss this morning, the one entitled The Rich Fool, and we can consider it also as being very, very practical in our life. You know, I believe that there are many valuable lessons that are found in this parable, and I find also that it's extremely timely today. You know, we might think that over time we would sort of outgrow lessons like the one that we're going to talk about today. I mean, after all, after we come up out of the waters of baptism and then over time, as we grow as those that are in the body of Christ, shouldn't there come a time when we no longer have to discuss the topic that we're going to discuss this morning for just a little while? I am convinced as Jesus so long ago stood before those masses and preached this very sermon and gave this very address to those that were there, it was extremely applicable to them on that day. But I would also say that if it were possible for you and I to sit at the very feet of the king, if he could literally stand before us and preach to us this very same sermon, I believe with all of my heart it would apply to you and I today. You know, Jesus on this occasion was preaching one of his greatest sermons. He was preaching about some of those things that you would think that people that were there in attendance, those that heard him would be right at the edge of their seats, as it were, in terms of, I use that as an example, surely there were none. But those that were there were standing before Jesus, and he talks about things that you would think are extremely important. He spoke about heaven. Can you imagine a greater topic of hope than heaven? You know, sometimes we talk about living the Christian life and we fail to recognize what we get. Sometimes we fail to realize what the benefits of living the Christian life really are. So many times people look at the Christian life and they say, Oh, look at all the things that I have to give up in order that I might be a Christian. Failing to see the reason that we do so is because the benefit of heaven. But you know, Jesus on that day spoke of something else. He spoke about hell. He spoke about the other side. If a person is not going to live faithfully unto death, what's going to happen to that soul? That soul is going to find themselves in a devil's hell for all eternity. Listen, they perhaps might have been the two greatest subjects that he possibly could have chose to speak to them about. Talking about heaven and how we ought to hang in there for just a little while until time shall be no more and we could have the wonderful blessing of the hope of heaven. But also, don't fall. Don't fall and don't be weakened by the sinful things of the flesh and by the worldliness that is all around you because if you do, there's only one other alternative to heaven 
that being hell. You know, he spoke about the deity of Christ himself as the Son of God. He spoke to them about things that they had never heard before. He speaks to them about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Yes, indeed, these were things that he said were very, very important. I want you to picture, if you can, in your mind's eye, this setting. I don't know how many people were there that day that were congregated around Jesus when he spoke these words. I really don't. But I know this, that the things that he said prior to our text this morning, he was preaching this sermon to them on these subjects and right in the very midst of this crowd that was gathered at the feet of Jesus, all of a sudden now, there's a man in the audience and he says this. He says, tell me, he says, master, meaning teacher, would you make my brother give me my inheritance? You think you can talk to him? Now picture that. That has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus is speaking about. Oh, no doubt this man looked at Jesus as a man of authority. And when Jesus spoke, he spoke as a great man of authority. That is true. But here was a man that was not listening to what Jesus was saying. He was not listening to his preaching. You know, I often wonder how many times when we stand here in this position, those that are preachers of the gospel and those that are teachers of the gospel, I often wonder as we look out over the crowd, I've wondered how much are they really understanding what I'm saying? You ever done that, those of you fellows that teach? Have you ever asked yourself, are they really listening? Are they really grasping what I'm saying? Or is their mind somewhere else? You know, this made me think of that. When this man in the crowd before the greatest man that ever lived, he wasn't listening to Jesus at all. Oh, he was there. He was sitting there that day or standing there that day, but his mind was on something else. But I often wonder as we look across the crowd, you know, and it's amazing what we can see from up here as we look across the audience. It's amazing, and I oftentimes wonder as I do so, how much are they really listening? How much are they really paying attention? Do they really want to hear what God's Word says? But you know what I thought about? I thought about this, and I understand this. I understand that people can be in the audience hearing me, and I can really understand why they'd want to tune me out. I can understand why people might think it's Frank again we got to listen to him again. I can understand that. I really can. But I'm going to tell you something. I can't fathom a person that would be in the very presence of the greatest man that ever lived, the greatest teacher that ever was, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Lamb of God that was going to die for the sins of the world when he's preaching about things as important as he was, I can't fathom how there'd be even one person in his midst that wouldn't pay attention. I guess we shouldn't feel too bad, those of us that stand up here. Because you know what? This fella did it in the presence of Jesus. On this occasion, this was the case as he was preaching. All of a sudden, he just blurts out, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. You know, this doesn't have anything to do with the subject that Jesus was speaking about. And it seems that in the very midst of hearing all of these great things, he's sitting there thinking about something else. 
How many times do we do that? Oh, we're there, we're assembled together, but our minds and our hearts are somewhere else. Now, this man understood Deuteronomy chapter 21 with reference to inheritance. This man, no doubt, had a, had a father that had passed away, and this man had a brother, at least, or he had a, a sibling that was older than he was. And so he understood, Deuteronomy chapter 21, that the inheritance of the father would come two-thirds proportioned to the eldest, and then the rest would be dispersed among the rest of the siblings in that family. Oh, no doubt he understood that. And when Jesus would speak with such great authority, he thought, well, you know what? I've got a problem and I need it sorted out. I'll just ask this man of great authority. By the way, as he might have raised his hand, we don't know, but he blurts out, can you speak to my brother because he is not doing what he knows he should do in, in spreading the inheritance around. You know, listen, listen to what really is happening here. He came there that day and for some reason decided to listen to or at least be in the presence of Jesus. The problem is, though, he was so obsessed by material things and by the fact that he might not get what he thinks he has coming to him, so he simply cannot listen. You know, I think this is worthy to note that our Lord dispatches this very, very quickly. He quickly states, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? You know, I don't think for one minute that the Lord was saying that there's anything wrong with material things. I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning either, because Jesus was not saying that there's anything wrong with material things, especially in particular the response that he made when he said, man, who gave me the authority or who put me judge or arbitrator over your financial matters? You see, he was going to prove a point, but his point was not that you can't have things in the flesh, that you cannot have material things. Secondly, I also don't think that what he was saying is, is there's anything wrong with judges or arbitrators that would sit down and decipher amounts that ought to be spread around by way of inheritance. No, that's not what Jesus was talking about. You see, Jesus was simply saying, that's not the reason that I came into the world. You know, if our greatest need had been financial matters, if our greatest need was money, God in his infinite wisdom would have sent us an economist. He'd have sent us a financial advisor. He would have sent us someone that could guide us financially if that was our greatest need. But our greatest need was salvation. So he sent us a Savior. That's what Jesus is talking to this man about. I'm not the judge over these matters. Let somebody else take care of that. I came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to save the souls of men, and he wants us to understand that there's bigger and better and higher things than money. He speaks to us about the real, vital issues of life. He speaks to us today in this sermon about one of the greatest foes that is against us today, and that is materialism. Oh, I would ask you carefully listen to what I have to say because I 
sometimes think that we cast it aside as, well, it's just another preacher preaching on materialism and preaching on things in, the, uh, in this world and preaching against money and so on because, listen, that is not what I'm doing and that's not what Jesus did either so long ago. Jesus never said there was anything wrong with having money. Jesus never did say that it was wrong to go out and work with your hands and be blessed because of the fruits of your labor. He never said there was a thing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus said that a man that doesn't go out and provide for his family has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. There's nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, we are supposed to do that. In fact, if you look at the other side of the coin, as it were, laziness is something that will cause you to lose your soul. Laziness and not being occupied on productive things will cause you to stumble and fall in this life. So there is nothing wrong with working and laboring all the days of your life and being blessed with the reward of having been compensated for your labor. Nothing wrong with that at all. Jesus didn't say that we have to be poverty stricken. He didn't say we couldn't have a nice home. He didn't say we couldn't have uh, cars and automobiles that bring us from point A to point B. He didn't say that. He never said those things. And so if he didn't say that, and we're talking about materialism today, what was his point? What did he really mean when he gave this parable so long ago? Well, first of all, Jesus introduces us to a rich man, and this man was evidently well off financially. Now, this man might have been a farmer, I don't know, or he might have just been a big landowner, but at any rate, this was a man that had spent some time in his life working. He had spent some time in his life understanding that he had to take care of the physical provision of his family that he had to go out and provide for them. And we can assume that because of his age, as described here, that he had a family. And so here it was that this man goes out and he works all the days of his life. All of a sudden, as he's been working so hard, he looks out and he finds that the fruit of the crops, the fruit of his labor produced in such great abundance that his barns are too small to store what he has. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with having that problem? You know, if we were in business, we'd think that's the greatest problem to have. Can you imagine if you were in business and all of a sudden you had in surplus, paid for, you had uh, an overabundance of it, and it was all paid for. Whatever you might sell it for would be profit, straight profit to you as the owner of that merchandise, whatever it might be. There's not a businessman in the world that would look at that circumstance and say there was anything wrong with that. In fact, that's what we shoot for in business, is it not? Well, here's the problem. He decides, well, I've got to do something, and here's my dilemma. It's all going to go to waste because my barns are too small and they're going to be too full. Here it was. Jesus said, this man says, as he comes to this information, he says... I'm going to pull down my barns, I'm going to tear them down, and I'm going to build bigger barns. Well, I'll tell you, that sounds awful wise to me. Here, verses 17 and 18 of our text. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. 
He not only wants to build greater barns to store his crops, but he also wants to retire and enjoy the fruits of his labor for many, many years. Look at verse 19, please, where it says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Here's the problem. Here it comes. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, I know some folks that are retired, and I think it's great. I know some folks that are retired, and I'm so happy for them. They are reaping the fruit or the benefit of what they've worked for in their life. But they're not guilty like this man. You know why? What was the problem? After all, didn't he plan for his retirement? Isn't that all, all he was doing? Well, notice what happens. He says, I'll build bigger barns. I'll have all of this surplus. And I am going to say I am at ease now. I am finished. Everything that I've done before is no longer, I don't have to do that anymore. And I have no other responsibility from this day forward. What am I going to do? I'm going to look at my surplus and I'm going to say to my soul, he said, soul, you can now you can rest. Now you can sit back. Now you can do nothing and you can reap the benefit of those crops and that fruit that's in those barns right now. And he says, for many, many years. Sometimes people say, you know, the, hap the more things that I have, the more possessions that I have, the more happiness I will have. But you know, in summary thus far, this man assumes that his life consists in the abundance of things that he possesses. He thinks that happiness is proportionate to the things that he has. But you know, the foolishness and selfishness of this rich man is seen in that he fails to realize that his body is mortal and he will not necessarily live on for many years. He doesn't consider that the riches really cannot satisfy his soul. He does not consider the needs of others at all. He doesn't consider the needs of the poor. They are never taken into consideration. He thinks only of himself and over all of the accomplishments that he's made in his life and never thanks once to thank God and glorify Him for what He has blessed him with. You know, for all practical purposes, this man might just be an atheist. You know why? Because God was never in His plans. That's really the problem. But if God, or if one truly believes in God... He would respond like the psalmist David who said in Psalms 116 and 12, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Oh, would that we would all do that. We would look to the things that we have in our life and glorify God because of those things and thank God and praise God, realizing that the more that we are blessed with in this life, the more that's required and expected of us as well. Also understanding this, many times when people have possessions or have large sums of money, they are looked upon as an example from others. What a wonderful opportunity that it might be for us in living our life in such a way that others would look to us because we had an influence and an impact in their life 
and be guided to that which is right and that which is to God. You know, I knew a rich man one time, I really did. And you know, he was talking about why, why he had all that he had. You know what else he said? And why I will have everything that I will have someday. He says, because I have faith in me. Isn't that sad? He said, I know why I'm going to be a wealthy man all of my life. Because I have faith in me. Well, that man died. He died all by himself. Lonely. And all of those things and all of his riches that he had... They did him absolutely no good, and it only took a couple years for his family to squander everything he ever made. I think that's what Jesus wants us to understand here in this parable. I think he wants us to understand that God must be in our plans, that God must be first, and things ought to be in proper perspective. Well, let's apply this parable rather quickly. Jesus makes that application in Luke chapter 12 and verse 21. When he said, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. If you want to know what the problem is, it wasn't that he was rich in the flesh. It was that he was not rich toward God. So then, if we are rich in the flesh, nothing wrong with that, as long as we are rich toward God. If your plans for the future focus on yourself and not on God and others, you are no different than the rich fool that Jesus spoke of so long ago. You know, when we read these words, this ought to encourage serious reflection in those that plan for their retirement. Now again, there's certainly nothing wrong with planning for the future. But just remember this. You still got to bear fruit in old age. You know, I was thinking about this last night. I mean this. I mean this with all my heart. There are things that the older folks can do that you and I that are young cannot. There's an influence that you have that I do not have. You see, when a person has lived their life for a long period of time and they got a little salt in their hair, all of a sudden we find that those are the people that have learned from their mistakes, they've learned from the mistakes of others, and they have an influence that we that are younger do not have. Oh, we respect greatly the life of those that are older. Let me just say this. Those of us that are young, let me speak to those that are older right now. We're counting on you. We need you. We need you in the body of Christ. Because there are things that you can do that we cannot. So when you retire, you can't retire spiritually there's nowhere in the Bible that it says that you ever reach a point in time in your life when you don't have a responsibility to the Lord and His church any longer. There is nowhere in God's, in God's Word that declares that. You don't get a gold watch. Thanks for your service. We'll see you later. No, unto death. Unto death. There are people that are here right now that encourage me because I know that they're not in the best of health. I know that they are older. I know that they're not in the best of health, but I'm going to tell you something. They're down here. You know why? They haven't retired. 
the Lord's number one in their life. We must keep in mind the brevity of life. We must understand the will of the Lord. In James chapter 4 and beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. And ye know not what thou, uh, what thou shalt be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. What is he talking about? He says, don't rejoice in your boasting. If you rejoice in your boasting, that type of boasting is evil. What did we talk about on Wednesday evening? We made reference to, as we discussed the inspired writer of Hebrews, when he was talking about the Christian race and so on, and the benefit of living the Christian life and doing so all the way to death. Remember now, we reflected back on the words of Jesus Christ himself when he, speaking to those disciples, said this. He said, you're going to have a benefit that no one else is going to have. You are going to have the benefit that the spirits would be subject unto you. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty big deal. You know what Jesus says, though, about that? Don't boast in that. Don't be proud of that. His exact words in the King James Version, don't rejoice in that. Then he tells them why you rejoice. Because your name is written in heaven. That's why we rejoice today. All the material things in the world can't do that. But we rejoice because our name, my name's in there. If you're a Christian, your name is in heaven, enrolled there. We rejoice greatly because of that. Well, the question is then, is how can we be sure that if a person is rich in this life, he can still be rich toward God? That's really the question. First of all, and certainly stating the obvious, number one, being in Christ is certainly required. The Bible would tell us that all spiritual blessings come through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. The great apostle Paul wrote so long ago in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Also, the exceeding riches of God's grace is only shown through Jesus Christ. There is no blessings outside of the body of Christ. For one to understand that how he must separate the things of this world and the things spiritually, he needs to understand it makes no difference all the things that he possesses if he is not in the body of Christ, which is to be a member of the Lord's church, the one that he built so long ago on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There are no blessings outside of that institution. That's how we can know, starting off, if we are in Christ. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4, please. Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. 
and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in all the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness toward us through, Je through Christ Jesus. Now then, there's so many things I'd like to talk about along this line. We need to move on. Secondly, in order that we might understand if we are living our life rich toward God is when we use the things that we have of material basis, the material riches, if we use them properly. We need to be ready and willing to help others who are in need. Jesus, on more than one occasion, connects helping the poor with laying up treasures in heaven. Notice what he said in, in the 12th chapter of the book of Luke and beginning in verse 32. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You remember when Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler said to him, he said, Master, tell me, what must I do to obtain eternal life? You remember what Jesus finally told him? He told him, you go sell all that you have and you give it to the poor. He said, you take up your cross and you follow me. Jesus didn't say, if you have money, you got to go get rid of it. That's not what his point was. You know what his point was? What we talk about so many times. The Lord has to be first. No stumbling block or obstacle or no anything in this life can stand in our way. And he knew that the riches of life were standing in the way of this young man and his service to God. He said, you got to remove what your problem is and you take up your cross and you follow me. You know, this man, the Bible says, went away sorrowfully because he was very, very wealthy. He missed the whole point. He missed the idea that Jesus wanted him to understand. Notice what Paul told the young evangelist Timothy to command those rich that are present in this, that are in this present age or in this present world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 17 through 19, Paul said, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And just remember what Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, as we use the things that we have monetarily and the money that we have and the wealth that we have and the possessions that we have, when we share those things with those that are less fortunate, it goes a long way toward being rich toward God. You know, finally, there's something that I'm going to talk about that I know I speak of quite often. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to keep speaking on it because it seems to be always an issue. There's another way to know if we are on the right track. And that is simply this. If the Lord and His church 
is first in your life. That is imperative. You know, it's really quite simple in living the Christian life. If the Lord's church is first, then every single priority in our life will fall where it needs to fall. The problem is we get things out of sorts because the Lord's church is not first in our life. How do you know if you are getting richer toward God or rich toward God? If His church is number one. When we do, though, let me just talk about a blessing that we have. We have both physical and spiritual blessings in doing so when the Lord's church is number one. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, Jesus said, And He said unto His disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for your body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the raiments, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than fowls? And which of you, which taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that which is the least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Then in verse 31 he says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus on another occasion in the Sermon on the Mount said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know when the Lord and His kingdom is first, we don't have attendance problems. We really don't. We'll be able to do, as the inspired writer of Hebrews said, we'd be able to cast every weight and every temptation that would so easily beset us, and we'd be able to run the race with patience until the very end, if the Lord is first. You know, I know people, I know you do too, that you know because the life they live that the Lord and His church is first, that if we come in here in this building all of a sudden one day or one time, and we look around and they're not here, you know what we think? We better get on the phone. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Somebody's in the hospital. Somebody died. Something is wrong. Because by the life they live, we know we can count on them. I wonder, though, if that could be said about all of us. But I'll tell you something. When you look at your life, and you compare your life with the things that we have to let lay aside in living the Christian life, it won't matter because our treasures would be in heaven. That would be what is the most important thing in our life. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A tax assessor one time, he came to a poor old preacher and he was trying to determine the amount of taxes that he would have to pay. Maybe you've heard this, I don't know. 
But this tax man said, he said, I need to know all of the things that you possess because I have to tax you on your wealth. Well, this man says, oh, sir, I'm a wealthy, wealthy man. And so the tax assessor opened up his book and he got his pen in hand and he's listening very, listening very attentively to what this preacher had to say. And this preacher said, you know, I've got 10 of the greatest most valuable things in all the world. Oh, hanging on to his every word on the edge of his seat, this tax man listened to this preacher say this. He said, first of all, I've got everlasting life. He said, secondly, I've got a mansion in heaven. He said, thirdly, and I know a lot of folks don't think this is much, but I do. He says, I've got peace that passes all understanding. He said, fourthly, I have also what the world doesn't have. I have joy unspeakable. Fifthly, he says, I have divine love which never fails. He said, sixth, you know, in a world where there are broken homes and broken families and shattered promises, I have a faithful, precious wife. Seventh, I have healthy and happy, obedient children. Eight, I have true, loyal friends, real friends that are with me all the days of my life. Ninth, I have songs in the night. And tenth, I have a crown of life. Well, you know, this old tax man said, you know, sir, he said, truly you are rich indeed. But you're of no use to me because your wealth is not subject to taxation. Oh, would that we would all aspire to have the wealth that is not taxed. You know, in conclusion this morning, and I need to draw my remarks to a close, I'll do so now. This rich man in our parable stood that day and stood and stood before the Lord. He assessed his problem. The Lord conveyed this parable. But this rich man, when he figured out what his problem was and how to solve it, the Lord said, he's a fool. He might be wise to the world, but God said, he's a fool. Because he said this. Now, here was a man that thought he was just going to live on and on and on and on. He's covered every base except this one. This night, thy soul shall be required of thee. And all the things and all the possessions that you have, what good are they now for you? You know why this is important? Make no mistake. When death comes, death is not coming from the things that you possess. Death is not coming for yours. As one preacher said one time, death is coming for you. You know, I, I heard it illustrated like this one time. If death was coming for our possessions, we could maybe sit down with death and say, look, you take half or three quarters of everything that I possess and be gone with you. Oh, no. When death comes and the chilly waters of death are before us, it is coming for us. The question is, will you be ready when death comes? Of all the plans that you've made for tomorrow, did you make provision for your soul? Are you here today and not a Christian? 
Are you not a Christian and you've never entered into the body of Christ? We talked about the fact that there's only blessings in Jesus, only through his church. We enter into his church when our sins are washed away. We hear the word of God as we've done today. Upon hearing it, we believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Be willing to repent of our sins and decide we no longer want to live that way any longer. Confess the name of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and then be baptized in water for the remission of our sins. Have we made provision for our soul by doing those steps and having our sins washed away? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.